Hello and welcome to the Flatland and Focus podcast. I'm your host, D. Rashawn Gilmore, and you may know me from our monthly show airing every Thursday on Kansas City PBS. Each month we focus on a new topic impacting folks in the greater KC area, and we always end up with so many great questions from the panel of experts and community members that we assemble. So in this podcast series, we want to give you everything we couldn't fit into that neat 30-minute show. So this includes everything from Flatland follow-up as well, our audience conversation that goes live on Instagram every third Thursday at 7.30 p.m., right after our show airs. So join me now as we take a closer look at how the streetcar might impact housing along the new extension. All right, welcome back for the roundtable discussion. In studio with me today is Kevin Klinkenberg, Executive Director with Midtown KC Now, Gabe Coppage, a leader with the Midtown Tenant Union and KC Tenants, Tom Garand, Executive Director with the Kansas City Streetcar Authority, and Councilman Eric Bunch from the City of Kansas City, Missouri. And so, you know, we invited representatives from the Kansas City Housing Department, as well as developers along Main Street and the extension line, including Mac Properties, Lux Living, and North Point Development to join us for our roundtable, but all parties declined to participate in today's episode, unfortunately. But, you know, we've got a great panel, and this is a really important topic that I think affects a lot of us in Kansas City. And I just want to kind of set a tone a little bit, a little level set. What is Midtown? How is it defined? And I'll start with you first, Councilman Bunch. Thank you. Um, exciting to be here. Uh, Midtown is, is a for me, it's home. So what is it? Is It's my home. I live just a few blocks from here. Uh, but I think a lot of people define Midtown differently. Uh, for me, Midtown is, is completely within my district, uh, the city council district, uh, the fourth district that I represent. And um, it's a place that is eclectic and it's a place that has history and it's a place that is accessible. And one of the main reasons why my wife and I decided to live in Midtown was because of all of those things and how exciting and how many options we have to go eat and go drink coffee and, and enjoy ourselves. I want to hear from the rest of the panel, but I'm going to push you a little bit further because you are the representative of the city of Kansas City. Is, is Midtown defined by any geographical boundaries uh, you know, that, that we all mostly agree with anyway? You, you know, the expert on what the boundaries would be is, is sitting across the table from me, <laughs> from me but, but I think generally, I think of uh, 31st Street to roughly uh, Westport Road or, or even farther down to 43rd Street. Um, south of there, you start to get into the plaza, I think, where some would claim that to be the Country Club Plaza. Um, uh, it's, it's probably Paseo to, to State Line is, is kind of the east-west boundary of Midtown, but, but I think Midtown is a, is a place in everyone's heart. <laughs> I think that's the geographic no, no, boundary. I think, I think you're I absolutely would. right about that. Uh, and, and before I come to you, though, because I, I have a follow-up question for you, so I'll yeah. let you go last in this case. Gabe, how do you define Midtown? Yeah, so um, actually when we were forming the Midtown Tenant Union, um, there wasn't like a necessarily like clear defined boundary, um, but our collective defines it as like 25th to 45th Street from north to south, and then from Truce to State Line from east to west. So kind of everything within that area. Um, but it's not like the official Kansas City Midtown definition, yeah. Okay, so I have to come to our streetcar authority <laughs> and, and ask the question, how is the Casey Streetcar Authority you know, defining Midtown, particularly with this extension line running right through it? Well, I think Gabe's definition was right on geographically, but we, we define it as Main Street. It's Main Street that connects the plaza to downtown, the two largest employment centers in the region connected through uh, the most dense neighborhood with a lot of amazing history and with Main Street running right down the middle of it. 
Fair enough. Okay, so you got to do the heavy lifting now. Uh, how do you define it? And you're a, a long time, uh, almost when I say lifelong, but a long time Midtown resident. Throughout your experience here as a Kansas City and in Midtown, has it shifted and changed? And how do you define it today? Well, I, I think the funny thing is, if you we always say if you ask ten different people, you're going to get ten different uh, definitions uh, of Midtown. Uh, it's just fuzzy enough, but I think our working definition at Midtown Casey now is very similar to what Gabe talked about, which is basically between Crown Center and the Plaza, state line to Troost, roughly. Uh, and uh, you know we can all quibble about some you know some version of that, but that's that's pretty close, and that's the area where I live and work, and it's where I've lived probably the majority of my adult life. Well, and I I, I wonder too though to the extent that we can sort of build on this a little bit. And as a level set, you know, t tell us a little bit about the new extension, okay? And then critically, what I, what I want to know is, what is it that we as Kansas Cityans should expect, not just in terms of the, okay, we're going to have a new line that's extending us, but when you have a streetcar line and when you have an expansion, there's usually a lot of good things that crop up around that. Yeah, so the Main Street extension is a three-and-a-half-mile extension of the southern terminus of the streetcar from Union Station to, to UMKC. So it's bringing the streetcar south on Main Street, again, the historic spine of the region's transit system, and it's putting a, really in place a 50-year investment in infrastructure, and it's not just the rails on the streets and the streetcars, but it's the sewer and the water, it's thousands of feet of sidewalk, it's hundreds of ADA curb ramps, it's 100 plus new trees and green infrastructure that's being installed. So it really is about a fundamental reconnection the, with not just transportation infrastructure, um, but with all that comes with that. And it, it really is about, again, extending um, the operation downtown and, and really building what we're saying is the spine of a system, a multimodal system that extends well beyond streetcar, bus, paratransit, on-demand services, east-west connectivity at key, key nodes along the way. Uh, so it is a unifier. It's the biggest transit investment this region's ever made. And um, we know, again, that it's intended to be here, not just this year and next year, uh, ride in 2025, but really for decades to come. Well, and that, that begs uh, an even broader question, which I think needs to be answered, not just how do we define Midtown. And, and as we've heard, you ask 10 different people, four different people, you get four different answers. But we generally all, I think, as Kansas Cityans, know of what we think of as Midtown. But it begs the question for me of who the streetcar extension is actually for. And I want to start with you, uh, Councilman. In, in pushing through this to make it happen, we were trying to match federal dollars with local dollars and that sort of thing, but for the benefit of whom? You know, anytime you make a major investment, a capital investment or, or an investment in quality of life, there's always the risk that it becomes something that is it creates change in demographics, it creates uh, higher demand for living near it, and that's something that we have to be prepared for and something that we're uh, actively talking about. And so for whom is the streetcar built? Uh, for me, it what one of the most important things uh, when it initially started was that the streetcar 
was free and it would remain free through the policy of the streetcar authority and through the financing and the funding mechanism that it would remain free in perpetuity. And that to me is a big deal and very important that we make transit as accessible as possible and remove any barrier, uh, whether it's someone just the friction of putting the money in the, in the, in the, in the box, or if it's uh, something that actually, you know, a dollar 50 that the transit usually cost before we made it zero fare across the board. Uh, that's, that's a lot of money that could go back over the aggregate of an entire year. That's money that goes back into the, the, into things like food and rent and, uh, and, and other basic quality of life things. And I, I think one of the things that occurs for a lot of people in, in Kansas City as we talk about, I mean, just as we have recently been doing with the uh, buses, you know, will they remain free with that whole conversation? And even today's taping of this show is occurring a day after Transit Equality Day, uh, which uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg uh, sort of initiated, but it's honoring uh, Rosa Parks' birthday and the fight for equitable access to transport. And so that, for me, Gabe, makes me want to ask you, are the people and the groups that you're a part of and that you represent, do they feel like this is for them? Not just the actual access to the lines, but the development happening around that as well. Yeah, so I think like asking like, who is this for is like a great question. Um, and thinking about like the new development that's coming in, I do think has actually priced out a lot of the people that have historically called Midtown their home. You know, we've seen proposals for developments along the extended streetcar line for like $1,400 one bedrooms. And so, you know, that's not necessarily for people who would use public transit to like get to work or like pick their kids up from school. And so I do think there's a big risk that with these new investments, um, people could get priced out of the neighborhood. And so for the folks that you are a part of who could get priced out, are these folks who are looking at having to move out of the area, they're being displaced, is that happening now? Or do you think that's something that will happen in the years to come as we move toward uh, 2025? Yeah, I think it's, you know, something that has been happening, not necessarily because of the streetcar inherently, but, um, you know, we really define gentrification as like the influx of like new development and new neighbors. And like often these new neighbors are like wealthier and wider. Um, and so, yeah, you know, when these new developments come in, people get priced out and they don't have somewhere else to go. And so that's really like the biggest question um, is like, how are we going to maintain affordable units like along the new streetcar line? So, Councilman, I don't mean to be unfair to you by any means, but I, I, I do have to ask, how do you anticipate the new extension will influence the types of housing that we see being developed along the streetcar extension? And I'm also curious to know if you feel like there are enough opportunities for the people that Gabe talked about to be able to stay in the uh, or, or move to uh, the areas along Midtown uh, because they want to be where things are happening. Yeah, we we know that because we, we have we have past history with downtown that when you build a streetcar, 
people want to develop. They want to add new, they want to build new housing uh, projects uh, because people want to live near that streetcar. Yes. And that's going to happen as we move forward. What, what has to be different this time is that we have to create safeguards so that uh, the affordable housing that exists is protected. Um, we also have to produce more affordable housing. And so there, we're, we're working on putting together the tools to make that happen. And, that, and that's such an important conversation in the, in the city. And a lot of cities are having that conversation too. What is affordable housing? That the definition has morphed and changed a lot, uh, like terms like livable wage, right? And so, I, Kevin, I mean, Midtown has been your home. Uh, there have been several surveys conducted uh, in Midtown or of Midtown residents. What are some of their chief concerns? or that you're hearing, and again, I want to say not just for residential property owners, but even commercial property owners who may not be developers, they're a mom and pop shop, or that sort of thing. What are you hearing that they are either concerned or excited about with the streetcar line extension? Well, I I would say most people are excited about what's coming with the streetcar, and they're excited for the change. Uh, They're frustrated with how long construction takes. We all know that's just part of the reality. Uh, and that's a really difficult process to go through, but um, but it's a major, major infrastructure project. Most of our people have been excited and have been excited for a long time. The th- I would say if you took, we take surveys every year of uh, Midtowners, and the chief concern on most people's minds actually is public safety and crime. Uh, that is far and away the number one concern that most people have. Uh, and that is, a, I know it's an issue citywide, um, but that is a thing that people talk to us the most about. And then beyond that, uh, what people really talk about that they, they hope to have more of is they want, they want their neighborhoods to be more walkable, to more, be more accessible and safe to walk around. And, 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 how, does, and how does that match up against having a streetcar? <laughs> well, it, it, it actually is great because, okay. you know, we always talk about the first, the first leg of any journey on public transportation is a walking trip. And so the better we can make that walking experience, the better it will serve, whether it's a streetcar or a bus route or anything else. So, Tom, hearing what uh, Kevin just said, I'd be interested to know if you are hearing similar things from Kansas Cityans. Are, are there concerns about crime and safety along the streetcar line? Or is it more perception versus reality? Or do you hear those conversations? We hear we hear the same feedback. And again, I think it's citywide. Um, in general, there's a broad conversation about a host of strategies from a police department and from City Hall that are being advanced to support and respond to public safety concerns. We've got cr- great coordination that's already happening as we're planning Obviously, partnerships and and the extension of the route and the service and what other benefits beyond transportation can that bring with more eyes on the street, with more pedestrians, with pedestrian amenities to to make people feel safer, right, to be on the street, as Kevin mentioned. So that's no doubt a component of, right, we're running a public transit operation that's for everybody. We've said that from the beginning. It's residents, it's visitors to downtown, yes, and it's employees. And... Um, we want those folks to feel safe. We've, we feel great about the track record downtown and how we've been able to roll out the service proactively, um, really embed ourselves in the community with strong partnerships from stakeholders. And we're ex- 
we're really excited about extending and the partnerships, uh, the expansion of the partnerships that will come with that. And so these partnerships with police and or community groups and or neighborhoods, or is it all just really all of the above, right? It's all, it's all parties are all in the, the same table. direction. It is the Kansas City Police Department. It is uh, the neighborhood associations. It is the large property owners in the districts and Crown Center and the Plaza and UMKC. How are we working together to really, we like to say our job Right, isn't about the street shiny, shiny streetcars. It's about how do we maximize the value and opportunity that that brings the neighborhood. It really was a part of the vision for Main Street for many, many years. And it wasn't because the streetcar folks said, we think streetcar on Main Street's a great idea. It was because the folks in Midtown said, this is a part of the vision we have for ourselves. And we think this can help right, in a lot of different areas, not just moving people obviously, but all of the things we're talking about in terms of making Midtown a great place to live for years and decades to come. So, I, and, I, and I'm going to ask this question from the perspective of someone who is a Midtown and indeed a, a Main Street property owner, a commercial property on, on 36th and Main, but I bring that up because as I think about the people that uh, we serve, they're coming from the, the branches east and west of Main Street. And so the question that I have is, how can bus service and streetcar service best operate hand in hand to uh, ensure that, you know, transportation for the people who need it most, as Gabe talked about, are really able to access something that we say is for everybody? It's a great question, and it's, I'm glad you asked, because um, streetcar is just a mode of transit in the region's transportation system and plan. Ride KC is a coordinator of, of all modes, bus, paratransit, on-demand services. And from the very beginning, uh, the planning around streetcar was really an evolution of the Main Street Max. And that that um, that line had outlived its useful life. It, it was time to sort of replenish, rejuvenate, and um, bring a higher quality of service and transit capacity to Main Street as Main Street does evolve in the years to come. And so each one of our stop locations is coordinated very directly with the 31 and the 39 and the 201 north of the river. So the busiest and, bus and lines. So, right, yeah. so I'm talking about the east-west connections. So uh, we will have very intentional transfers um, in, in at those key uh, locations to ensure that you know, at the end of the day, people just want to get where they want to get. And it is it is a, a means of transportation. And that connectivity uh, with other modes is key. Streetcar is not the right solution for every transit problem. It fits very well the goals of, of Midtown Casey now and Main Street uh, for this opportunity. Uh, but it isn't the solution for everywhere. And so connecting ourselves to other services... Um, and thinking about even as it grows into the future, there's places where it may make sense and probably many where it doesn't. And so it doesn't need to be the limiting factor, right? The region deserves great public transportation beyond the streetcar. And so we've been a part of that conversation, trying to move the needle, uh, working closely with East West and our partners at Ride KC on um, connectivity. Yeah, Kansas. because that, that is the key. I mean, that, that, yeah. that is going to be yeah, the that, regional coordination is, and leveraging of all the resources that we have in, in that arena. It's fundamental to what this spine initially will be doing. It's going to be connecting people to routes from all over the region. So, uh, Eric Bunch, are there any incentives or programs in place uh, to make sure that those new developments that are happening along the streetcar extension line are something that everyone can enjoy? You know, are, are we seeing developers really take advantage of those incentives? You know, we always talk about, and, and when the development conversation comes up in Kansas City, getting through City Hall and all the processes and things, is there a carrot that's being dangled before those developers so that we're not talking about $1,400 for a studio apartment on 39th and Main Street? 
Sure. It, it's going to take a carrot and a stick approach, and we've already implemented some of that. Uh, so, for example, we have a set-aside ordinance that requires any new development that's using incentives, uh, it's required to set aside uh, some affordable units. I think that there is a, uh, a, a, an argument to be had whether that's truly affordable or not, and right. I think yeah. uh, where I stand is that it's not. Um, it's not enough yet, but it is part of the solution. Um, it's going to so that's that's more of the stick approach, but the carrot is that it's an incentive, and we are we have a lot of incentive programs, uh, but the but we have to go deeper, and we get have to get more deeply affordable. So using things like the the state uh, uh, light. Tech program to help create more affordable housing, but and that's the um, low income housing tax credit program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would also say that we've done other things to protect tenants who are currently in in in. Well, that's what I was going to go to next. What what's in place for those folks sure. so that they don't find themselves priced out if they want they've lived there and they want to stay there? Well, um, a couple of things to keep people protected from evictions is that we have fully funded our uh, our office of. of the tenant advocate, but as well as uh, providing a right to counsel for any of anyone who is potentially facing eviction. Um, so that has that has prevented perhaps hundreds of, of, of evictions when we know that so many times the defining uh, thing with a person who's facing eviction, maybe unlawfully, is that they don't have access to legal representation. And so we've started doing that and that has, I think, resulted in a lot of protections. And then most recently, uh, we required uh, every, every uh, landlord in the city will now have to to take housing vouchers, uh, as well as any other income. Which, which is a big deal for any community. And I, I just have to say that a lot of the credit goes to Absolutely. Gabe and the folks at Casey Tenants for really pushing that agenda forward. Well, and, and, and bringing it to our attention, the thing that I love about Casey Tenants, um, and it's not just because Gabe's sitting here, but it's because <laughs> um, not only do they come to bring uh, problems to, to, to our view and, and let us know what they are, but they also come to the table with solutions. Yeah, they're and, very solutions oriented. And explain yeah. the thing. And, and uh, source of income discrimination, banning that is not new. Kansas City is, is, is a, on a long list of cities who, who have already banned uh, that, that form of housing discrimination. And I'm you know, proud to support that, proud to sponsor it last week. And I think the, uh, the advocates like Casey Tennis and others who, who stepped up and really provided some guidance on that. And, and certainly it should be a source of pride. And I've got a question for both uh, Kevin and, and for, for Gabe, but I want to start with you, Gabe. And before I do that, I like to educate our, our viewers as much as possible. And there was a survey that KC Tenants did of about 600 tenants, and they reported spending an average of more than 50% of their monthly wages on rent more than 50% of their monthly income on rent. And uh, that's a really high percentage, and some say it goes as high as 70% from some of the research that I've been doing on this. Renters account for 35% of the residents along the streetcar line. Um, and I just am interested to know, when we talk about these new 1,165 units of luxury housing that we already know about coming up, along the line, do you see the folks that you represent being able to take part in some of these amenities and, and, and nice homes? Yeah, you know, I, I think like Eric was talking about, I think we need to like revisit the definition of like what is considered affordable. You know, like when we see affordable apartments in the news, like that looks great on paper, but when you look at how affordability is actually defined, um, 
they're basing that on HUD's definition of the entire Kansas City Metro's AMI. So not just Kansas City city limits um, where this like set aside ordinance um, is in place. And that includes 14 counties with neighborhoods like Mission Hills. And so in 2023, KC Metro's AMI was $97,000. And so you can consider 60% of that affordable. And what that looks like to tenants like us is like a $1,450 one bedroom being considered affordable and you know if you're getting tax incentives for building affordable units that's like the baseline and then they can kind of go up from there so yeah. Kevin in in your experience and observation I mean you're talking a lot to both residents uh, and uh, commercial property owners um, do they feel like the mix is right right now of affordable housing? And, and I don't even know if maybe you can even share your definition or Midtown Casey Now's definition of what affordable housing is and what it feels can be done or should be done to make sure that Midtown remains as rich and diverse as it is today. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, it always depends who you talk to and whether they think there's a good mix or a bad mix. You know, are we heading the right direction or wrong direction? Uh, I think from our perspective, when we zoom out, we look at it like we have a housing shortage, period, in Midtown. Um, we've talked about this endlessly, but in the areas that we work in, in 1950, we had a population of 73,000 people in that area. Today, we have 28,000. Mm. We've had a massive loss in population. The good news is that has started to change. And in the last decade, we've seen that start to tick up very slowly, but start to stick up, tick up the other direction, which is what we want. We, we need, we need a lot more people in this part of the city to support, to create the tax base for all the services we want and to have all of the goods and services that Midtown residents want. So the problem is, if we are not building enough new housing, now that demand has come uh, in our favor, when we've got more young people, especially who really want to be in Midtown, if we aren't going to, if we aren't building enough new housing, period, of all prices, then all housing prices are going to escalate even quicker. And so the gentrification problem that we talk about will only get worse if we are not creating more supply on the market. So I think our focus is trying to zoom out and look at it and say the way we keep Midtown affordable for everybody at all price levels is to make sure that we're building enough housing supply to offset the demand of what's coming in because that's where we want to be. We want to grow. Okay, so lightning round. Uh, sure. and, and we'll just go this way around the table and we'll give the Tom the last word here, but what does the future of Midtown look like in your eyes? That is a great question. Um, boy, it, it's... Great, uh, it's, but not... Put me right on the spot. Right. <laughs> no, I love that. I think it's a great question. And I, I, I like to think of it, uh, you know, every time that you're in a place, it's like a snapshot in time, okay? And we experience our neighborhoods and our cities as they are today, and we often don't realize maybe what happened 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And what I try to focus on is when was Midtown the most successful and the most thriving for the most people. And that really was, you know, seven or eight decades ago when we had uh, neighborhoods that had far more people. We had public transit everywhere. We had a fantastic streetcar system. People walked, they rode bikes. We had many, many local shops. We had many, we had multiples of neighborhood grocery stores within neighborhoods. 
that's the neighbor, that's the kind of midtown that when we talk about that, that people respond to and they say, we'd like to see that. We'd like to have more of that. And that's where I, uh, we're not going to get there immediately, but that's where the direction that I think we need to go. Gabe, what do you say? What does the future of Midtown look like? Yeah, you know, I think um, it is like a choice and like where it goes. And I, you know, personally, I organize with Casey Tenants in the Midtown Tenant Union because I am afraid of my future in this neighborhood. You know, I'm born and raised in Kansas City. I've lived in Midtown for the last 12 years, but if things keep going the way they have been, like I'm afraid I won't be able to afford to live in the neighborhood that really raised me. And so I would like to see, um, you know, truly affordable housing and um, prioritize just as we are investing in other amenities and things like the streetcar. So I, I want to be very careful not to put words into your mouth, but would you... Is it fair to say that you almost have to envision a possible future where you don't get to live in Midtown because you can't afford it? Yeah, you know, like growing up, I used to feel like kind of what was happening to the neighborhood was just inevitable. Um, but, you know, I feel like gentrification, things like that, you know, it's a policy choice. And it's like we can make policy that invests in truly affordable housing and invests in the people over just new development um, and tax revenue coming in. Because I think what makes Midtown Midtown is the people. You know, I'm a fan of historic buildings and all that. I love um, the architecture, but really it's like the people that matter most. So investing in that. Councilman Eric Bunch, uh, longtime Midtown resident and representative of the area, what is the future of Midtown from your point of view? I think the most important thing is that when we build something like a streetcar or any transit investment, uh, specifically transit, is that the people who need it the most and rely on public transit the most have to have the best access to it. And so what I envision for, for Midtown as this transit network continues to grow is that the is that Midtown remains a home for all and becomes even more inclusive, both economically and culturally and racially. And I think that we can get there, but it's going to take deliberate policies in order for us to ensure that that's the reality going forward. Very well. And Tom, you get the last word, but I'm going to skew the question just a little bit from what I asked the others. What is the future of Midtown or what does that look like? And what is the role that you see the streetcar playing and bringing about that future. I, I see a, a vibrant, healthy um, neighborhood uh, that's connected uh, like it hasn't been connected in 50 years. And I see Main Street as the spine of a regional transit system that provides access to opportunity, not just on Main Street, but on, but, but connection through connections with Ride KC and regional partners um, across the entire region. And I, and I see people um, and, and foresee people getting excited about public transportation as a viable option. This is no longer just a downtown service. It's a service that's connecting our densest neighborhoods, our largest employment centers to jobs, as well as to other services around the region. And we, we continue to believe that it's, it's going to help to redefine our view of public transportation at large and hopefully lead to a bigger conversation about how do we connect more places? How do we, how do we continue to, to um, not just invest on the fringe of the region like we have for 50 years where we're pushing infrastructure and we're pushing people and jobs to the fringe where they're harder to connect. Um, let's 
let's focus on, on the core and connecting ourselves. Um, also, it's really serving, we talk about housing, but this is also intended to serve as a magnet for jobs. Let's, let's have services that actually not just bring people, like we're talking about. We need more people. We need density. We also, we also want jobs. And if we can co-locate jobs and housing on Main Street and shorten the commute and provide people um, high-quality access via public transportation than our future in Midtown's Brett. I think it would be hard for anyone to argue that we don't have the right person representing the <laughs> streetcar aligning uh, authority. And that's where we wrap up tonight's episode of Flatland and Focus. And, you know, we're reminded that the streetcar extension is more than steel and concrete. It's a pathway to new potential horizons in Kansas City, and we all get to benefit from that. You've been hearing from Kevin Klinkenberg, Executive Director with Midtown KC Now, Gabe Coppich, Leader with the Midtown Tenant Union and KC Tenants, Tom Garand, Executive Director with the Kansas City Streetcar Authority, and Kansas City 4th District Councilman Eric Bunch. Our guest perspective shed light on a delicate balance that we're trying to maintain between growth and preservation, innovation and inclusivity, but the true essence of the journey isn't in the discussing planning and building. It's in the lives that we weave through our heart of our city, in homes, in stories told, and in the neighborhoods that stand resilient amidst great change. As Kansas City moves forward, remember that in the movement toward progress, every ride, every stop is a chance to build not just a route, but a community. Good night and stay engaged, stay informed, and keep shaping the Kansas City that we all call home. All right. Thanks for listening to the Flatland and Focus podcast. Tune in again next month as we discuss the upcoming vote to extend the three eighths cent sales tax that would go towards building a new stadium for the Royals. I'm D. Rashawn Gilmore. And as always, thank you for the pleasure of your time. Mm-hmm.